Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Billboard on Broadway podcast. I'm your host, as usual, senior editor at Billboard, Rebecca Millsoff, and Broadway fan here. So probably one of the biggest stories on Broadway over the past 20 years or so, and certainly one of the biggest stories in terms of creating this bridge between the pop and musical theater worlds has been the advent of Disney theatrical productions. Uh, Going back to its earlier musicals like Beauty and the Beast and The Lion King, continuing through shows ranging from Aida and Mary Poppins to Sister Act and Newsies, Disney has become a formidable presence on Broadway. Broadway, which, if you think about it, isn't all that surprising, considering so many uh, of its movies are essentially musicals, albeit often in animated story form. Uh, the latest huge Disney production on Broadway is Frozen, uh, based, of course, on the Oscar-winning 2013 film that became the highest-grossing animated film of all time. Frozen is now uh, known for one of the most inescapable songs of the millennium, I think, Let It Go, which won an Oscar for Best Original Song for its composers, the married team of Bobby Lopez and Kristen Anderson Lopez, who have since gone on to win another Oscar for their song Remember Me from last year's Pixar movie Coco. Uh, But Bobby and Kristen are, I think it's fair to say, theater people at heart. Uh, Kristen was a co-writer of the acapella musical In Transit. And Bobby, who is not only a member of the Elite EGOT Club, but is actually a double EGOT winner, uh, has won two Best Original Score Tonys for his music and lyrics for Avenue Q and a little show you might have heard of called The Book of Mormon. I've seen quite a few of the Disney musicals over the years, and like all of them, Frozen is very much not just an animated film that has been transferred to the stage. It does have all the songs you most likely remember and love from the movie, but the score has been significantly expanded, the drama has really been fleshed out, and the actresses who are leading the production, as Anna and Elsa, are giving very human and very individual interpretations of these roles. Uh, Patty Murren and Casey Levy, respectively, are both very well known to Broadway fans. Patty has starred in shows like Xanadu, Lysistrata Jones, and Wicked, and Casey was in the acclaimed revival of Hair in recent years, along with shows like Hairspray, Les Miserables, and also Wicked. 
Frozen is now nominated for four Tony Awards, including Best Original Score and Best Musical. So I am so glad that Bobby, Kristen, Casey, and Patty were able to take some time from their insanely busy schedules to chat on the podcast this week. everybody yeah, <laughs> um so why don't we start by saying who is who in this room uh i'm i'm bobby lopez i'm one of the uh songwriters of frozen i'm kristen anderson lopez i'm his wife <laughs> oh, and you do things too <laughs> oh yes um i uh i am one of the songwriters on frozen and um I am the scheduler of the play dates and the um, and the writer of our vacations. Both important roles. I'm Casey Levy, and I play Elsa in Frozen on Broadway. And I'm Patty Mirren, and I play Anna in Frozen on Broadway. And they look just like regular gals. <laughs> Well, I am. Uh, I saw the show a while ago, and I'm a longtime fan of both of you ladies from your prior work. And I, I feel like in terms of uh, prior belting you have done, this is actually like low key for you, Casey. Uh. <laughs> it's funny you should say that. I mean, it's a lot of my friends in the business have come to the show and said, "Oh, it's good. You have like moments off stage where you can sort of recalibrate before you come out and sing another massive song." And it's true. But these songs in particular are such special loved songs, especially Let It Go, that it doesn't really feel like it's more low key than other belting I've done, but it is more special than most of the work I've done, which has been really amazing to sing these songs. And Patty, I have to say, it's I knew about you as a lady on stage, but I feel like you also had a whole other persona to me from Andrew Reynolds's Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew, who has also been on the podcast. Um, Life goal. But I feel like he was, he's talking about you so much that I was like, I want to know more about who she is. <laughs> he is. We've been friends for, um, oh my gosh, almost 10 years now. And he's one of my nearest and dearest. Um, and so we do make special appearances on each other's social media pages. Um, we also happen to sing Love is an Open Door uh, up at the um, O'Neill uh, the, gala. the gala that was honoring Bobby and Kristen. Um, so if you search the YouTube, you can find Andrew Reynolds and I singing a song from Frozen. Oh, I totally forgot. That. Yeah. That yep. was really fun. Was so fun. <laughs> and Andrew has some Book of Mormon history mm-hmm. as well. So he's the glue that, that brings yep. us all together. And he was my um, my utero twin. <laughs> what is Wait, that? No, I'm just kidding. I'm trying to think of it. How could I? How could I top this? How could I top this? Like, <laughs> we were we were in utero together. Um, he was just born later, and now um. <laughs> and now you have been reunited. Um, well, I I feel like first with the Lopez's, I have to start with the fact that I um, I love Coco so much, and it made me cry for. I think an hour straight. So I feel like I should tell you that before we really? start talking about Frozen. Yeah, it's like, it's so wonderful. So congratulations. Oh, I'm that. jealous. I, it must feel so good to just cry for an hour straight. Yeah, it, it was feels a little, so it was empty a little weird. I think my boyfriend was very freaked out. 
to happen. He was like, do you often cry at movies this much? But Kristen's just a tough nut to crack. It's hard to make Kristen cry. I, I, but I it try. feels so good when it happens. I do. It, I'm, I, I'm like, I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to cry. And then when it happens, like after um, Terms of Endearment uh, or something like that, I'll watch. And then it, I feel so good letting all those feelings out. Well, it's something about Remember Me just does it for me. Um, but anyway, Frozen. Uh, so I guess I just wanted to start talking because I think that the the musicals that Disney has done has made me realize something that is perhaps obvious to other people that these really are musicals that we're just seeing on a big screen. And I was curious, you know, when you're when you're writing for a movie that ultimately gets turned into a stage thing, are you thinking of it as a musical the same way you would a musical musical, or do you approach it in a different way to begin with? Huh. Well, you don't appro- approach each song differently necessarily, right? Yeah, that's what it's, I was going to say. It's it's double layered because yeah. the songs use the same muscles that you use to write songs, but the overall vision structure is, is different. The structure is different. So, um, if and little things like the way out of a song, the the button, you don't really put a button on a song in the movies. If you think of it like um, like if you're a softball player, you you learn how to bat and you learn how to run fast to the bases and you learn how to catch. Um, the things that are the same for musicals are like you do learn how to. If if songwriting is the bat, that and I'm, this is me- this <laughs> metaphor is getting weird. Let's cut this metaphor. I'm just trying to think of it. You use different How about skill football? Give, football. Put it in football terms. How huh? about tennis? Um, <laughs> uh, um, You're assuming people who love musical theater understand, understand all these sports analogies. Also, <laughs> I'm just saying that the um, fundamental skills are the same, but then there are very specific skills that we have spent a decade trying to learn about movies, um, and that is a particularly evolving. There's only a handful of people who are doing the musical movies um, and a handful of people who have done them for the last 25 years Um, so you pick their brains and then you watch them and you see what works but structurally they're very different is there like an example you can give me of how you one thing you would just do differently between one or the other one one thing that's different is you wouldn't you wouldn't really put a lot of songs in the end the last act of a movie because especially a movie that has action in it and a lot of plot because uh, you don't want to slow down uh, for a song Uh, whereas um, in the theater you're really not you're not thinking about story event story event story event plot 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 or and you don't want to see any action at all and mm-hmm. the the things that are the things that you're tracking on stage are emotion and and because it's a musical music really bears the weight of all the storytelling and anything that's important has to be in a song whereas in the movies uh, a disney cartoon fairy tale there's a lot of other arts that are going on that bear a lot of the storytelling that songs don't have to do mm-hmm. so you pick your you pick your best seven moments um, and you try and spread them out as much as you can and, and, and pick moments that will live forever and that really sing. Um, but not every part of the story needs to be a song. So it's like the directive that's in front of you in the first place is pretty different, it sounds like. The directive, certainly the directive we stepped into with Frozen was 
um, we were working with this amazing gentleman named Chris Montan, who actually also was a consultant on the musical. But Chris had worked on, I think his first Disney musical was Pocahontas. No, it was Little Mermaid. Uh, was the Little Mermaid. He had worked on. He had been there for the golden age of of the Mencken Howard Ashman um, creating the playground that we're just playing in, mm-hmm. um, and he was the one who sort of knew. Uh, one of these can handle it's 90 minutes one of them can handle about seven to eight songs we ended up with seven and a half Uh, if you count rangers are better than people as a half a song Um, (laughs) and disney does and disney does (laughs) Um, and and so that's ultimately sometimes you simply are doing well if we have a song here and a song here and a song here there's three more songs and then and you're not going to put them in the end. You're not. You're not gunning towards a song. You're not aiming to a song. Usually, mm-hmm. you're aiming to a huge visual action moment, um, which in the movie was sort of Anna. Spoiler alert: Anna jumping in front of the sword and turning into ice, mm-hmm. and then the melting of of Arendelle. Um, and that was all done visually and with sort of source song with that um, Voily uh, kind of soundtrack moment. But in the musical, in the musical, (laughs) that whole action sequence is very, almost like an opera. Um, It had to be musicalized, and and the snowstorm is basically captured with the chorus, with music and these incredible orchestrations and dance and light. Um, And it's it's done, we're aiming toward a big song. We're aiming toward an oral cyclone, basically. Like the idea of an oral cyclone. A A U R A L. <laughs> yes, important distinction. Well, I know, I know that you know musicals take many many years to put together, but I have a feeling this was sort of a unique beast in a way, and I get the sense that you guys didn't have as much time as you ordinarily would to add all of the music that you did. So I was curious from your perspective, like sort of what the when was the moment when you realized this is becoming a stage musical? How long after the movie actually happened and was successful was that happening? And also for you two, when did you hear about this happening and when did you think like this is something that, you know, I could go for? Sure. Um, you know, there really was not much of a of a break that we got. The movie came out um, the award season happened. Uh, we were at the Oscars. Then we went on a vacation, and then our planned vacation planned by Kristen. I assume <laughs> yeah, planned, planned by Kristen. We were in Arizona. We went from Sedona to Sonoma, where John Lasseter lives, and um, we had a retreat uh, with um, Tom Schumacher and Jennifer Lee and Chris Montan and and us. And we were um, just talking about what what the outline would look like, and we made a sketch of this show um, that, you, that is on Broadway now, just just spotting where the so- the new songs would go and what the role of the chorus would be, because that would be the big biggest new element we'd put in. There's a great big ensemble in Frozen Broadway, and we're really proud of them. Um, and uh, and so then we, we we kind of finessed the outline for about a year and a half. Um, well, when we, we should have been on, when we should have been writing the songs. We should have been writing it, but we were <laughs> we were working on this outline, and we were writing um, another proper another thing. We were writing Coco with uh, Pixar, and I forget gigantic and gigantic, um, and we and also our show for La Jolla that was called Up Here, and so that we were kind of 
super busy and we came back from La Jolla September of 15 mm -hmm. and there was a dry erase board just like the one in this room that had a, a sheet over it and Tom Schumacher pulled back the sheet and it basically was like here's your life for the next nine months um, because we had to have a draft and a score of the whole thing by May 1st of 16 and we had to take the seven songs and this outline and spin it into a two and a half hour musical with lines and songs. And so what we then did was we took a, a cheap calendar and we wrote in those outline moments of like from October 1st to October 10th, write Christoph on a song. From you know October 22nd through 28th before we have to go away for the weekend, we'll write Elsa's new, right. a second yeah. act song or and whatever. And the week of the 13th is a short weekend and our, our kids are off school, so we have, so we maybe have we to can take... write a, one of the short songs on that one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the entire year became this grid of the song moments we had to write, turn in, get approved. We left some room for rewrites. Uh, and, and there were also, um, there was like act one read through, act two read through, put the two together. Um, and it was, we were just living on a grid of deadlines. I, I was gonna say, I wish someone would plan my life yeah. this well on a whiteboard. <laughs> <laughs> we had to because there was absolutely no way it was gonna get done by the deadline in order, and it had to be written by May 1st of 16 in order to get the designers the information they needed to start designing something that was going to be this big in order to have the sets by summer of 17. So it was, it was really, um, it was a very mathematical, <laughs> high pressured situation. And Bobby and I learned how to compartmentalize <laughs> very well. Um, wine helped. Um, <laughs> Yes. Uh, but and then we started really having fun. I have to say. Um, yeah, it was it was great because we were we were able to um, focus on one project. We got rid of some of our other projects. We kind of put them to the side, and then we and we just sat in a room and looked at each other and made ourselves write the songs. And once we got into them, it was it was like going back to a you know to a place that you loved being. Very few writers get a chance to revisit the stuff that's already worked and, and, and make it better and, and add to it and deepen it uh, and imagine it in a different way. And it was almost like making the, the songwriter's cut of, of Frozen because this, this version is all about songs. It's all mm -hmm. the music tells the story completely. Um, well, that leads me, I wanted to ask, and then I want to hear from the two of you, that um, you know, I wondered if having these 7.5 songs in place was useful to you as having kind of as like making a bare grid for things or if the sort of fill in the blanks aspect comes with its own no, set of 100%. challenges. No, 100%. If we hadn't had those, we would never have been able to make it because <laughs> there's seven and a half of them, which is enough to... It's better it's, than a blank page. Than nothing. Yeah. Although one of them fell away. Frozen oh, yeah. Heart, um, Frozen Heart was gone. Um, but we were able to use a lot of the DNA of all those songs yeah. to create the new songs. And mm -hmm. that's what makes it feel like the same thing. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah, I, th I think it does. It was fun. I'm, the other thing I would add is that we, for those months, every time we would like show up, peek out of our basement, because we were working in our basement at the time. That also was, it was dark times. Um, but every time we'd sort of peek out and go to see something in the theater, people would say, are you guys living in L.A. now? Um, <laughs> when you're going no, back, yeah. No one had seen us, because we were just working all the time. You're like, no, um, just the basement. No, no, we're just in the basement in Brooklyn trying to meet this deadline while the 
rest of you guys are talking about Hamilton. (laughs) (laughs) That's the way to do it. Just stealth writing while Hamilton's happening. So at what point do the two of you think this is something I want to audition for that could be right for me? Well, everyone wanted to audition for this. Um, I had just had a baby, and he had been in the hospital for a month because he was premature, so my world was a bit turned upside down, and I had the opportunity to audition for one of the labs uh, when Alex Timbers was attached as the director. Right, was that the first one? Okay, so I pulled myself together somehow and went in and sang, and um, it didn't go my way at that time, and then... I did some more mommying. I went and sang back up for Rod Stewart for a while on tour, what? which was random and fun. As you do. As you do. Wow. Um, yeah. Did I never tell you guys no. that? <laughs> we'll go for a drink. I'll tell you this story. Yeah. Yes. And, um, and then Michael Grandage was on board as the director and was looking for his cast. And I went back in. And of course, I had hoped that I would maybe get a chance to continue my audition journey with Frozen. And I knew from seeing the movie that that music felt right to my heart and that I would love a chance to sing it, but so did every other girl in the city, you know? So I wasn't, um, I wasn't hanging my hat on it by any stretch, but I felt like a, a kinship to the material. And I had one of those auditions that just felt great. And then I got to sing for these guys and the rest of the Disney Madness, that like, how many people were in that final call? Like a hundred, sixty. I don't know. A lot of people. We did it in a theater, and that was really exciting. We did it in a huge Broadway size house, Mm -hmm. so that we could see, we could cast based on who can fill a house that big, Mm -hmm. because it's very different than casting in a small room when it's close up. That was a huge eye opener for me as a Hmm. behind the table person mm-hmm. um, that I I think we had a very nice luxury to, to do that. I, I was like going to say, is that 70s. unusual? It felt like being in a 70s movie yeah. yes. about Broadway. It's rare to audition in a real theater on a real stage anymore. And I remember actually at my final callback that I was able to interact with you guys, that you were giving me notes directly and we were chatting. And that also doesn't happen very often anymore, I feel like. And so there was just like a, a great dialogue with everyone and it felt really good and also it was it was snowing like crazy it was February yes. <laughs> it was it felt like frozen it felt like yeah. all the all the kids like schools were all closed we oh I don't know how we got from oh, Brooklyn we came home and our house there were firemen in our house there were house. firemen in our house there was a carbon monoxide leak yeah. Chris oh was like gosh. hello firemen Oh my God. Um, I also auditioned uh, just over two years ago for that first reading, and I, I ended up getting the role um, with when Alex Timbers was involved. And then, so we did that first reading, and then when months passed, and found out that there was a new director, and they luckily kept me on for that. Um, and then months passed, and then I. Uh, ended up reading with Casey at the final callback for this and getting it. Um, so it was like a year process of like, you know, doing all of the different workshops of it, but never knowing if I had the job between. But luckily it was, I, my husband um, had just, uh, 
he had we we had just finished our first year living in Chicago because he's on a TV show that shoots there. So it kind of felt like because I was in a different city, it, I wasn't as like inundated with like the everyday reminder that like, are you doing Frozen? Are you doing Frozen? Being like, I don't know, I don't know. So like in Chicago, like nobody knew, nobody cared if I was doing Frozen, which was I think a blessing in disguise because I couldn't actually think about it. And then I ended up doing the entire season of his TV show as a as a guest star. So I was like working, you know. It was it all of it was very like worked in my favor so I wouldn't get super crazy about it being like what's happening what's going on I think the big takeaway if you listen to every one of our stories is that we all had a way of compartmentalizing Mm -hmm. we all you do have to compartmentalize and and listening to your stories and knowing what you guys had to go through and and hating to put you through it all, hating it, but knowing just uh, how hard it is, how many talented people there are in in this city and how few roles there are for women that have layers too, Mm -hmm. um, that, that it was tough and that the people who seem to survive and be able to go into those big, that big giant theater and not implode were the people who had other things going on in their lives. And certainly Bobby and I, um, anytime people are like, the pressure, the pressure, how do you handle it all? Mm-hmm. It, it really was, it's because we've got two kids who no matter what is going on with Frozen or Disney or anything else, <laughs> we have to wake up and keep two people alive and fed and not wearing hoochie clothes to school and um, in that order <laughs> uh, you know we've got we've got much bigger issues to deal with um, and then then we can turn our our brains back on to frozen but both these women have very full layered lives um, and they brought that into the room too with them and they bring it to their roles well, I was going to say that the two of you, I mean, it's very individual interpretations of these characters. And I think that with an animated film especially, it's very rare that a specific person becomes so associated with a character the way Idina and Kristen did. Um, so I was curious from your point of view when you were casting, were you looking to have two women who are very different from them? Were you were there elements of their interpretations that you wanted to preserve? And for the two of you, like how do you get over knowing that everyone has those voices in their heads and sort of make these characters your own? I mean I think for uh, for me that that is actually kind of an easy answer because uh, you know what in discussing what's different about you know Bobby and Kristen like writing for the film and writing for the musical is sort of the difference between casting for a film and casting for a musical is that you know it's these these people have created these iconic characters and voices and sort of the the general like nature of them but then we're we're the ones that have to actually embody them and give them human being human bodies you are bodies (laughs) and to to move like them whereas you know you can draw whatever you want when you're doing an, an animation but we had to you know we we were the got the incredible pleasure of like getting to actually be the people to play the whole person for the first time on Broadway Mm -hmm. um so like I mean obviously you're not like no one's gonna like I say no one's gonna make like Elsa shoot fire out of her hands on Broadway instead of ice like nothing like of course the, the, we know what the characters are if an actress comes along and she can do that well then we might like, think about changing <laughs> maybe she could play like the villager <laughs> the very talented villager <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, um, it should be clear, I guess, because, you know, Patty Patty and Casey aren't, they don't have the same voices as Adina and Kristen. Mm -hmm. Um, They don't have a lot of the same characters, but but the character is there, um, all the same, and and, um, embodied in a a beautiful way. um, And... Uh, brought to life so in such a in such a magical way yeah I think our directive for this piece also was to um, go deeper and more sophisticated and we really went a lot more psychological with it too there's we talk we show a family dealing with shame like the early seeds of shame and how that shame leads to a trauma where doors get closed and nobody talks about it and and people get frozen literally in their roles of like the mess up second child and the perfect first child um, and and this whole piece is sort of deepening that that story so it makes sense to me also that we got two more grown up voices in a, in a way um, or uh, that have all these different layers um, however we wrote the original, the DNA is written to Kristen Bell's beautiful, pingy, um, she's got this pingy, bell-like quality, and there is that in everything Anna does. There is the that Disney princess, um, clear as a bell kind of sound that's in a lot of her notes, and then there's the Adina, um, we wrote to Adina's voice, which was she can sound very vulnerable at, at the lower end, and then as the song gets higher and higher, she gets more and more powerful, and you go, where is that voice coming from? Where is that voice coming from? <laughs> and Casey takes it, that sort of trick and does her own journey with it, different than Adina's, but the same the same um, growth of vulnerability into power. So there, there are pieces of, of both, and it's a really interesting dialogue that's going on between the Adina, Kristen, Casey, Patty uh, journey, and we're so lucky to get to work with all of these phenomenal artists. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. So lovely. I, I think for us, it's, it's actors, you know, you have to be able to replace in a show and you have to be able to create a role. And I think what Patty and I have done on this job has been sort of somewhere in between. Yeah. <laughs> because we have this template of the film and of Kristen and Adina's voices and we want to honor that and we want to build on it, like Kristen said. And I think that 
we've also been given the gift of new material, new music that has just deepened the story so tremendously, and that we're able to kind of take off in our own direction with. And so it is a tricky thing, but it's an exciting thing, and it really feels like, I think I can speak for both Patty and I, I'm looking at her as I say this. Yes, you can. That like, <laughs> we feel like we've been able to create and add to something that's already so beautiful, and that has been very satisfying. Um, from an acting and singing standpoint. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking about the, the new music a little bit, I mean, you touched on this before, but I think that one of the great things about the show is that it, you leave, when, for me at least, I left and I was like, oh, that, that like didn't feel like jigsawed together at all. Like it, it feels like this is the original way it was. Like it wasn't like I was sitting there being like, oh, new song. Oh, this is new. This wasn't in the movie. Like I just kind of accepted it the way it was. And I guess that in terms of how, how you made that happen, when you were writing, I mean, did you have to set certain rules for yourself or how did you kind of ensure that that would happen? Or was it just well, very wanna, lucky that it turned out that way? I brag on my husband, who, who I truly think is a genius. Um, and it's, a, it's one of my... I'm one of the reasons I stay with him is that <laughs> <laughs> not all of them. Um, but I, I, my husband, very early on, when we looked at this mountain, we had to climb um, to to turn seven songs into twenty three in in about nine months. We were a little daunted, but Bobby had found this amazing podcast about the music of John Williams and how John Williams, um, in creating the Star Wars universe like he had Star Wars and it became a thing and then he had to go and write the score for Empire Strikes Back and then Return of the Jedi Um, and somehow Bobby was able to have a gestalt shift from like this is so scary what are we doing to that's going to be such a fun project. We will, we yeah, will it came, take... It, it went from Frozen for breakfast, Frozen for dinner, Frozen for lunch, to Star Wars, Empire, oh. Jedi. <laughs> um, Which is fun. He was able to see, oh, I get this chance to try to do that, to take the DNA that was in the seven songs and then spin them into a, a universe that could grow and could carry more story. That's something that, that, that music can do so well um, and and that not many writers get a chance to do because how often does a single musical turn into a franchise? Almost never. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we were able to use music, which has this power, as you can see in things like you know Wagner and, uh, and John Williams, to take light motifs and, and use them to... Um, to trigger the audience, remember something that they that they already know in their heart because of this this tune. Um, like for uh, for example, uh, Elsa has a song called "Dangerous to Dream," which is if you kind of break it down musically, it's made out of little bits of "Let It Go." It's made out of this <laughs> da 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 da. That that's the the tune of "Dangerous to Dream." It's the sixth. Yeah, it's a, it's the sixth and a, and a second. It's like that 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 became for us mm-hmm. the little fear, um, the the fear that Elsa has that she's a danger, that she's dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, or in then, the case of um, "Do you want to build a snowman?" Uh, we we again using the psychology lens of how we were going to tell the story. Um, one of the, the big story of Anna is that she's this little girl who spends her whole childhood 
not fully knowing why, but knocking at a door, just waiting to to connect with someone and find love. And in her darkest moment, spoiler alert, she finds herself stuck behind a locked door again, um, dying. And, and it was this great moment that just visually could connect to that, do you want to build a snowman again? So we thought, oh, we should also use that with our light motifs. And so the, the do, 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 that intro is really in the DNA of the song called True Love, where she's processing the pattern and the choices of that broken little girl um, that led her to think that she could fall in love and marry a man in one day and that her whole life would be fixed. And and that led her to that place. Mm -hmm. Well, I wanted to talk to you both about what it is about uh, Bobby and Kristen's music that makes everyone want to sign up immediately when yeah. they know that Frozen is <laughs> yeah. happening. Um, I mean, when I was thinking about songs of yours that I love, I was thinking, you know, you're funny, but you don't sound like you're trying to be clever and like there is actually like sort of a nice simplicity sometimes to the lyrics that feels just like very emotionally straightforward and sometimes even surprises me and I assume it's more like ver verbally intricate than it is um, and I think that I mean there also seems to be a thing where like your songs are just all eminently very hummable um, and have that sort of pop sensibility without sounding like they're trying to be pop songs yeah. so that is my takeaway, but for the two of you, what Thank is so you. wonderful about singing this? Yeah. I think you, you said it really beautifully. The thing that's always attracted me, this is like fangirl moment now, because we've never really had these kinds of conversations with each other, but I've always been drawn to both of your work because I think very few people write pop musical theater better. And I think that my musical sensibilities lean in that direction already, so I'm already drawn to that kind of sound and feel. Um, but from a, both from a singing standpoint as the singer and from a listening standpoint as an audience member, you can catch on quickly, but there's so much deceptive depth to your writing um, that I'm still figuring out every day when I'm performing the music. I'm still finding little things and noticing little moments and little intricate bits of writing and even just these little like, what do they call them, Easter eggs, like hidden in the music, you know, the way they mm -hmm. do with the Disney, um, with like hidden things Mickey. in the scene. <laughs> yes. It's really, uh, there's something inherently emotional about how you guys write and also light and humorous and it just gives so much color as someone who's trying to interpret something and tell a story and be a person on stage. Um, you don't have to do anything more than sing their words and their melodies and it makes sense, it works. Yeah, just piggybacking off of that, it's like you write for you write for actors but you also write for humans of, of all you know kinds. It's, it's so like, you're, it's so metaphorical, the, both the music and the lyrics, so you can either sing it at the ultimate surface level, you can just like sing Let It Go without thinking about it, or you can sing it and just like literally just have like the most explosive power moment of your life being like, yes, let it go! <laughs> you know, like you, it really, it kind of like the layers of it are all, I mean, like the duet with Kristoff and Anna, What Do You Know About Love? They're literally climbing a mountain talking about their relationship, which is metaphorically climbing a mountain. Like, it sounds so simple, but it's like, of course! You know, it's, and that's, I feel like every, every single one of the, the the songs that you've written it does the same thing where like like Casey said I'm still like oh oh wait oh I've said that word in a song before oh my goodness I see what they did there it's kind of embarrassing sometimes but you know <laughs> <laughs>
I mean, as as much as you've learned from John Williams scores, <laughs> are, are there specific things that you feel like the two of you have learned over the years from pop music as well that's really informed your writing? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I am the dumbest um, consumer of pop music ever. I don't, I cannot hear songs that are on the radio. When I'm in like a restaurant, I just... I grew up in New York City and I tune all background music out and Kristen's like, so you know that song that blah 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 sings? And I'm like, blah blah who? Uh, he, he knows absolutely no pop music and I don't know, somehow it's, it's I absorb kind of it all. like a talent in a weird way. <laughs> yeah. I like Billy Joel. Yeah. Yeah. He likes yeah. Billy Joel and the Beatles, but what's nice about that is that he doesn't have, um, he doesn't have this whole sea of sort of unexplored pop music in his body so that when I bring him I'm like listen to what Sarah Bareilles did here um, he's able to look at it with this fresh mind um, and and say oh this blah 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 like uh, listen to what she's doing with the rhythm there or whatever and I'm like no I'm just like imagining of anything um, and it, it, he's, he's able to see it fresh and hear it fresh um, so it's fun to look at songs that we love and analyze them together um, though I do think I do think pop and musical theater are so 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 different mm. and the people who write great pop songs are are working from a completely different place yeah, do you know what it is I think maybe this is just one thing that's different about them but the use of repetition which is a very important thing in a song in both pop and in musical theater is different I think that pop songs repeat they have to they have to repeat and not build and um, musical theater songs have to keep building um, to something very important and w when I tried when I ever tried to write pop songs everyone would say it's too Broadway you know it's like I, I think it's because I, I kept trying to make them build oh, we've Sorry. been told we've been told that we had an abundance of melodic material oh, yeah, like, um, <laughs> yeah when we were making the Demi Lovato version of oh. Let It Go the guy was like <gasps> We worked with this producer um, who's wonderful. Who's and, great. And, and he's like, let me show you. Let me show you what's wrong here. And he's like, first you get this thing, da 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 da. -da. Fine. Then we go to this next thing, da 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 da. Then you give us a third thing, da 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 da. And then you have another thing, da 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 da. And then you have another thing, da 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 da. It's just too much. It's too much. Too much melodic material. Too much information. Melodic information. That was it. Too much melodic information. But I also think that if you look lyrically, every it's a different kind of TMI. Every kind, every um, musical theater song that you love is tends to take a character from one place to a new place. <clears throat> There's a discovery or an action taken, um, and those are the songs we definitely know how to write. When someone says, even even someone says, like, "Will you write a, sh a song for an award show?" We we find ourselves going, "Well, what's the story? What's the story? What do you need? What do you need?" told and what do you is there a character at the center that needs to go from one place to another we definitely have a, a hard time writing songs without a story and the pop songs tend to at a certain point you just don't hear the lyrics at all there, I think country music you can still hear some of the lyrics they still can occasionally tell a story mm -hmm. like you know when she dug her keys into the side oh, yeah. of his pretty little souped up four wheel drive. Yeah. <laughs> like there's a story there. Yeah. But not every one of them has a story. Mm -hmm. 
That's true. Now I'm thinking about Carrie. <laughs> <laughs> well, there are a couple specific songs I wanted to talk about. Um, I I must talk about Let It Go, and it's, it's very predictable. But um, I just can't imagine what it is like to step out there every night, Casey, and like feel the expectation in the room. It must. I mean, <laughs> like, it's crazy. <laughs> It's crazy. You need a healthy amount of, of just plain old denial yes. in order to, I do anyways, in order to get out and, and sing it um, and be Elsa, frankly. <laughs> but, um, but especially with that song, there is, there's so much expectation and it's so loved and it's such a special, special song. And I still can't believe that I'm doing that every, every night and that I get to be the person to sing it. The confidence that radiates from the stage from you when you sing that song it's just palpable it's incredible for when you get for, to the second chorus um, and uh, and it just it just hits the audience and then they I think they throw it back at you they do and it, they then do. by the end of the act can't believe what she's singing it's 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 a hard enough song the way we originally wrote it but we wrote her a couple of extra high notes at the end <laughs> to, to end the act and um, you just can't believe it <laughs> that is happening. Yeah, um, and part of what's fun about it too is Casey. Casey, if you don't mind us talking about you like you're not here, but <laughs> Casey, Casey is a very quiet, introverted, graceful Canadian. <laughs> and, I am Canadian. It's true. And, 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 and with all of the Canadian humility and, and <laughs> quietness to her, um, and. I think similar to the the song Let It Go, which builds from a place of vulnerability of snow tonight, small voice, just keeps rising and getting bigger and surprising you. Like, how is she doing that? That's what you see from this graceful, quiet person um, suddenly just opening her soul up more and more and stepping into this power that is unfolding in front of you. And I think I think we are also watching a human being given the power to wear a sparkly dress and do what nobody else can do up there on stage and own it. Um, and then it happens, and then after the show happens, it all curls back in until the next night. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's really wild to watch and, uh, and something that I think only an introvert, because I will also say, Adina has that too, mm -hmm. like introvert, mm -hmm. quiet. Yeah, I'm like an, I'm, what do they say? Introverted, extrovert, 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 introvert. That's what I am. Yeah, extroverted, introvert. Because you're an ambivert. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but it's it's true. I, the song is written to unfold in that way, and so it does. It gives the actor singing it the permission to reach each milestone and then climb a bit higher, not just melodically, but um, energetically and soulfully. And I, and I, it does surprise me every night um, that I am anxious in a good way, you know, excited to get out there and sing it, and then to feel all those feelings. It's not something that you need to like, there's no, there's no flourishes that you need to add musically or from an acting standpoint. You just have to say the words and sing the song, and then the thing is done. And like, that's audience reaction that comes back is because they are so integral to me singing it. I feel like it's a duet with the audience. I don't think you can really sing it on your own because 
but also she's really good at it. Like yeah. she's making yeah. it sound like anyone yeah. can just stand on the stage and be like, I'm gonna sing Let It Go and you're gonna love it. It's, it's very difficult. Yeah. She just makes it look really easy. You can have this back now. Thanks, oh my God. Yeah. Like I, just, I love singing it. I love singing that song. I've never had more joy in a moment on stage in my entire career than when I get to do that every night. Well, it, I was gonna say that, sorry, that just that some, what I was surprised by is, like I said, I have heard you belt it in like two two other shows besides this, and I was surprised by how relaxed you seemed. Like even if you don't feel that way, I think that, um, and this is not to compare you to Adina, but I you know I have Adina's rendition in my head, and I think that I mean this as a compliment. It might not sound like one, but. I think that part of the excitement of listening to Adina is there is an effortfulness to the way that she belts that make you think, is she going to hit the note? Is she going to hit the note? Ah, she hit the note. I can breathe, you know? (laughs) And I was watching you and I was like, yeah, she sounds pretty chill about this. And like you hit the big note at the end and you're like, yeah, it happened. (laughs) I mean, that's interesting. People have been saying that and I definitely um, think that relaxation is important in order to sing that song. It shows a week in a healthy way. So I am actively doing things with my body and my voice to stay free and loose in my throat so that I'm not constricting as the song climbs higher mm-hmm. and higher and so that I can um, focus on the acting of it and not feel like I have to worry about the singing of it. Mm-hmm. So I've sung it in enough to be able to rely on it and know that I can do it. But it is it is sort of a crazy song and you have to give over to the fact that, um, that it could go any which way every night and that is part of the excitement of the song. So I, d- I don't feel like it's effortless but I do feel like I've done my homework enough to know where it lives in my body so that I can access that in the high stress situation of singing it on Broadway her her body is really important to talk about because it is gymnastic what she's doing up there just like those those little people who go and they walk very quietly into the center and then they do these crazy flips and like and you're like oh wow Um, what she's doing she's trained for um, worked really, really hard, and I. If you also watch, it's a masterclass in technique. She's 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 telling the story, but her body is is grounding itself. Her core is is totally kicking in. She's. She's recruiting. Away. She's recruiting her glutes. She's also making sure that tongue, yeah. that tongue stays out of there. Yeah. Um, and anyone who wants to know how to belt healthily should come and watch what she's doing. It's it's extraordinary. Also, I hear a rumor not to give anything away that the costume yeah. that you're wearing is rather heavy. It's rather heavy. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of poundage on top of me on my body. So it's yeah, it's mm-hmm. negotiating and making all of this amazing ice happen, this Disney magic. It's, there's a lot of elements, but that's true of the whole show, and all of our cast members have major challenges with heavy costumes and big belting and trying to make the audience feel taken care of so they're not worried for us, because we don't want you to be scared that we're not going to hit the note. We want you to be out there investing in the story and knowing that we got you on stage, you know? So that is mm-hmm. the goal every night. That's yeah. so refreshing and interesting that you guys think about that. I know when I'm in the audience and I'm worried for the actor, it takes me out of the story. So as much as it can be exciting, I want to know that the pros have it handled so that I can get my money's worth and enjoy the story. And Do you think that back. too? Are you going through that? As far as taking care of the audience? I mean, yeah. I, I guess so. I guess I've just never thought about it that way before. Um, I think that's like what we do before the yeah. show run begins. We make sure we know. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's like, there's definitely a big amount of trust that you have to have in yourself, but also the people that you're on stage and backstage with and whatnot. Um, and just like, you know, because it's like, it doesn't just take one person to run it. To It's not like, I mean, we can't just go out there and do the, the show without all of the other people. It's mm-hmm. that, it's the crew, it's our dressers, it's our stage managers, it's our front of house staff, it's our ushers, like making sure the audience is taken care of and like, you know, not, not, not distracting and whatnot. It's literally everyone in that building. And it's crazy that as soon as one person like just, you know, doesn't, you know, doesn't do their job, makes a mistake, and, you know, there's a thing, it, it, there's a ripple effect. And so I think it's like, you don't want to do that. You don't want to be that person. So you just do whatever you can to make sure that you're not the one making the ripple effect. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> and, I mean, luckily, like, it's, it's, we're, it is live filled theater. with professionals, but yes, it's live theater. John and I end up on the floor every so often after Love is an Open Door because <laughs> our shoes get stuck in each other's costumes. It happens, <laughs> but we always button the number. <laughs> yes, you do. I've seen button that. I have, I have seen it. <laughs> yeah. So that's the other thing. It's like when things and things do happen is that you have to be able to laugh it off and be like, yep, that's great. You know, and just keep <laughs> moving forward. Because um, that's, I think, another reason that people love to come to the theater. They like to see, you know, they like to see that you are humans in the flesh mm-hmm. doing this in front of their faces. And nothing has been edited. Nothing has been, you know, like auto tuned. Yeah. So it all kind of, I don't know, like a little bit of rawness is never, mm-hmm. never bad, I don't think. Even in something as huge and, you know, magical and massive as Frozen. I think it actually helps it sometimes. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, I was going to say, speaking of heavy costumes, but on a lighter note. Um, uh, yes, I'm here all night. Um, I I want to talk about my personal favorite song, which is Higa, <laughs> which I enjoy very much. And you get to be part of that, correct? Yes. I do, yes. The, the opening of her back, too. Um, we get to come in and dance with all the naked Norwegians who are just coming out of the sauna and just living their full lives and, you know, just keeping warm in the big snowstorm. I've always found the enthusiasm for the sauna and the, the birch whacking very endearing, so I was just curious to hear where the idea for this number came from and well, what it is like to be part of that whole, like, chorus line. It, it really, chases. like, it reminds me of, like, a Mel Brooks number mm-hmm. in a good way, sure. which I hope is a compliment, yeah. <laughs> it traces back to when we had this character, um, Jen actually took the word, there was like an app on her computer and she wrote naked Norwegian and said, anagram it. And out came Wandering Oaken. And she was like, we're gonna name that character Wandering Oaken and we're gonna have a sauna. So it Mm -hmm. it was actually, like these are the weird things you do as a creator. Yeah, the naked people came first. They have to play with anagrams. (laughs) (laughs) Naked Norwegians. Um, And so Wandering Oaken was born. And, and then we, there's, there was so much talk after the movie opened about what was that sauna, what was going on in that sauna, um, <laughs> that, <laughs> that we, we knew, like, okay, if we're well, going to we, write. We, we knew that we weren't going to have Kristoff and Anna stop off at Wandering Oaken's shop on the way up the mountain because it would be another set that would break up that song that we wanted to write for them. So we thought, oh, but we can't not have them. Hey, we need. How do you top let it go? You have an intermission, and then what do you what do you start with? You start yes. with the complete opposite. Yeah. Uh, and we thought, you know, to ha- to get those naked people out of the sauna for a number of sort of Benny Hill kind of madcap zaniness would be fun in a Disney musical. Yeah, <laughs> and, and you know, we were also uh, 
Rodgers and Hammerstein opened many of their second acts with like the ultimate charm song just mm-hmm. good, like like 101 pounds of fun like mm-hmm. that song is there just to get people back in the seats after going the clam bake from carousel the, the trauma yeah. or clam bake yeah. it, it, it is a it is the last time we get to have totally unadulterated bun mm-hmm. exactly uh, that that has very little nutrition other than making you laugh and and um, and I think we were kind of excited to be a little um, subversive and almost to Disney and say like, okay, we just wrote you a naked number. Deal there with you it. go. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I have a I have a thing for songs that take uh, untranslatable foreign phrase um, and 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 write about them as the title of the number. Yeah. Uh, I love you know Hakuna Matata and and That's Amore and Ibo Ibo and Schadenfreude and this is just the latest in a long series of that. I hadn't thought about what a trend that is, but that's awesome. Well, I think I have to release you to your other duty of caring for your children. <laughs> if you guys, if you would like to carry on with them, don't let me stop you guys from going. Um, I just feel I, I didn't, I didn't uh, schedule this correctly, and I have to drive them to all the way. It's basically Staten Island. <laughs> Pain in the neck. Oh my God! At least take a boat. Well, it was it was a lot of fun to talk to all of you. So thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Yay. Higa means comfortable. Higa means cozy. Higa means sitting by the fire with your cheeks all rosy. Higa, 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 I will translate more. Frozen is playing now at the St. James Theater on Broadway. And as usual, if you are a fan of Billboard on Broadway, you can subscribe to us and give us lots of nice stars and reviews on iTunes. Uh, you can use the hashtag Billboard on Broadway on Instagram or Twitter. Uh, on Twitter, I am at Rebecca Millsoff. On Instagram, I'm at YouDownWithRMM. And the Tonys are coming up June 10th. So I encourage you to look at past episodes with uh, many of the Tony-nominated shows this year. And we should have some more exciting podcasts coming up in the couple weeks before the show. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.